Hey, I'm Chris Parrish, Chief Investment Officer at Oak Harvest Financial Group in Houston, Texas. This is our weekly Stock Talk podcast, keeping you connected to your money. So I'm out on vacation this week. It's spring break here in Texas. I'm at Disney World with my family, and hopefully I'm surviving a few roller coasters. In replace of me talking, I'd like you to watch a segment that Troy and Charles just recorded that puts together our investment philosophy, puts together our stock picking um, quantum metric model, and I think you'll find it invaluable from an educational standpoint. Viewers, here it is. Here's Troy and Charles and how Oak Harvest puts together portfolios. Welcome to today's video where we're going in depth with Charles Scavone, Director of Investments here at Oak Harvest Financial Group, and asking about process, how that process applies to your portfolio, and how we decide which stocks, which bonds, which investments we choose to go into your portfolio to help you reach your retirement goals. Charles, from your experience, what is the direct benefit to the consumer, or the potential benefit to the consumer, from having a structured process in place for stock selection, and maybe in your career? Career, some examples of uh, if there isn't a process in place, what can go awry? Yeah, well, that, that's the, the second part of your question is the best part of it, because from our standpoint, any investment program that does not uh, involve some thoughtful, systematic process to allow you to identify these investment opportunities leads you to this random outcome, and you have a, a, a handful of randomly selected stocks is kind of like going to your, your barber or your hairdresser and getting stock tips. And so our perspective and what Chris and I bring to, to the table as is, is institutional framework investors is that we want to employ some thoughtful, systematic process that allows us to identify what we believe to be are the most important attributes that a company can possess. And those are the ones that affect corporate profitability. And our experience is that it is sales, margins, and return on invested capital. And, and to oversimplify it a bit, it's, it's if we have a good product or service and we sell a lot of it, we generate a lot of sales. If it's really good, we're able to charge more for it and we generate high margins. And then we can take the proceeds of that and reinvest it back in the company and generate this wonderful flywheel effect that creates you know, the great growth companies that we've seen across various market cycles, across various types of economic uh, conditions and economic cycles. And it creates this thoughtful framework that gives us a, a, a confident, platform to operate from that we believe gives us the best chance of creating repeatable returns over time. And it's something that there's quite an established precedent in capital markets for as well. There's not many companies out there that have increasing sales, that are expanding the margins or the amount of money that they make on that increasing amount of sales, and then redeploying that capital from those sales and increased margins, profitability, redeploying that capital into more successful projects. And that's how we create an expansion of multiple. That's how we create compounding uh, profitability, which then translates into uh, compounding stock returns, or at least sure. theoretically. So that's the first part of the process, right? Think SMR, sales, margin increasing or margins, and then return on invested capital, SMR. But when we talk about 
investing in today's environment, it's not just maybe what we call that bottom-up analysis or fundamental analysis. You brought a term to Oak Harvest called quantum mental. And Charles, you brought this term to Oak Harvest Financial Group, and you're going to hear a lot about this uh, moving forward, or at least it will be frequent in our writings and our communication with you and our appointments with you, but quantum mental. So how does quantum mental, when we're talking about the quantitative analysis, that's obviously looking like we said, the bottom up, the fundamentals, SMR. But how does it now tie into what the economy is doing and what's going on maybe with the Federal Reserve, with monetary policy? Sure, sure. Well, it's important to take one quick step back and say, okay, well, what is this quantitative process? So we have the tools in-house that allow us to look at a universe of about 28,000 stocks and say, okay, where can we identify those trends that we talked about? And it'll, it'll take that universe of 28,000 stocks and boil it down to a much smaller group that we have the highest level of interest in. And that's sort of the quantitative process. But then we want to, yeah, we, we, we've reduced our focus to this smaller universe of companies that we want to then examine to see if those traits, those financial traits we've identified are durable, repeatable, and hopefully, you know, carries across an economic cycle. So then we begin our process as fundamental, true fundamental analysts and begin to do a deep dive and in looking into the, 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 what are the drivers of the financial performance of these companies. And that's the fundamental aspect of it. So we meld this quantitative process to bring our focus into what's most important. And then we really add a lot of value, I think, in bringing our experience as research analysts and I'd really dig into these companies and identify the choices we want to use. And that's what's way different, what's completely different from what we do versus an index fund that just allocates, you know, the client's capital in a formulaic basis across a litany of stocks, regardless of the investment merit of those positions. How is this process then built into the different portfolio models that we have, let's say the dividend model or the blue chip growth model. How does this process, does it differ when we're looking at those two different portfolio models, for example, or is it the same? And um, what's some insight you can provide yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So when you, when you take a step back and think about it, <clears throat> the attributes that drive this, what would be viewed as sort of this, this is growth profile of a company, the ability of this company to take excess profits and re, you know, reinvest them in the business also provides them the opportunity to pay out a portion of that in the form of dividends. So we're not looking for anything different particularly within the financial profile of the companies, what we're differentiating is a capital allocation decision that the company has made in terms of whether it wants, it has sufficient funding to both reinvest in the business and pay out a portion of those profits in dividends. And then for us, we're also take that even a level further, particularly in the dividend income model, we're looking for companies that have the ability and, and the willingness to pay a growing dividend. So we're looking for a pretty specialized company. And so for us, the process is the same and that's what drives what we do from a research standpoint. We then let the company show us where it needs to be placed within our different equity model so that we can create differentiated product for our client. But the foundational element is all this process-driven uh, research approach that we have.
And we're big believers in what gets measured shows results. So if we don't measure performance, if we don't, and I'm talking about here, not just how much has the stock increased, but just big believers in if you don't measure and if you're not benchmarking, you really have no idea where you are versus where you should be. And one of the things that I think was very, very important there is when we're talking about dividend growth and we're trying to identify attributes of companies that whether they go into the growth portfolio or this dividend dividend growth model, and just as a refresher here, dividend growth is when companies pay out a dividend, they have a long history of paying a dividend, but that dividend that they pay out increases over time and we expect it to continue to increase. So when we're measuring the sales of a company, the margin expansion, is our profits increasing or is our profit margins decreasing? So if a company has increasing sales, increasing margins, and they have a, a good track record of reinvesting that capital to create more sales and more margin expansion, it's a great growth company, but guess what? We can also now if the company has paid a dividend for 15 years and increased that dividend from prior years, increasing sales, expanding margins, reinvestment, or reallocation of capital into to decisions that continue to increase sales, we feel pretty good as an investment team that that dividend has a good probability continue to be paid out, but also to increase. And that's one of the ways that we tend to um, structure portfolios when we're doing the financial planning. If someone is concerned about inflation and they have the dividend growth portfolio, you know, dividends are not guaranteed and dividend growth is not guaranteed, but that process for identifying companies that have those characteristics of SMR really lends itself well to both the growth portfolio, but also the dividend and dividend growth portfolio. Agreed. And that's why you'll see a little bit of common ownership across both of the portfolios as a result of that. And then we also then, as we, we look at these names, we see well, what is what is the price that the market is asking for them, for, for this, these particular attributes. And we size it up and based upon our level of conviction in our outlook, then that determines the position sizing within each of these models. And that helps us. That's an inherent form of, of one active, embedding active management as opposed to just passively allocating it regardless of its merit as an index fund would do. And it also allows us to the best position things from a risk management standpoint. The names that have the highest level of conviction have a higher weighting within the model portfolio. And then, and then it allows us to, to, to build this bottoms up portfolio, one stock at a time, but, but to a point that you were making earlier, we do then come back and say, okay, does our top-down view of the world, our forecast, our economic forecast, interest rate forecast and such, does that view match what this bottoms-up portfolio construction has created? And if it doesn't match, we adjust it and we make sure that everything meshes up. And as things change, then we can change the allocation of these individual names within the portfolio. So something really, really important that Charles said there and it's position sizing. So one of the tools we use to manage risk is position sizing throughout the portfolio. So position sizing, if you invest, let's say $100,000 and you have $1,000 in one company, that's a 1% position size. Now, most people probably aren't aware that the S&P 500, if you buy an index fund, it's a market cap weighted index. So there's no strategy to 
which companies are allocated to what percentages in that index other than how big is what we call the market capitalization. So it's overweighted towards Google and the big technology companies, but there's no quantumental um, analysis there to really say, you know what, these are the best companies to own right now, given their fundamentals, but also the economic environment that we're in. So position sizing is very important for one, risk management, um, but what we're able to do in these portfolios are is to identify companies that we feel fit the characteristics that we're looking for in a company, and then when we start to position size across, whether it's the blue chip growth portfolio or the dividend portfolio, we can say, you know what? We like this set of companies in this particular environment much better, so we're going to allocate a bit higher position sizing to them based on this quantum mental process of identifying stocks that fit the characteristics that we're looking for, SMR, but also we feel will operate in the type of economic environment that we're in. And, and, and we can adjust. So Charles, SMR is obviously very important, but when we're looking at the full dashboard of attributes that we look for in a company, it's much greater than that. It's much deeper than that, and it's much more involved than that. But SMR, very, very uh, good summary for the primary characteristics, I'd say, that we're looking for in stock selection. But what happens when we identify a company that's in the portfolio that has decreasing sales? Or maybe margins aren't expanding, margins are contracting. What is the Oak Harvest sell discipline? Yeah, well, you've just asked the most important question you could possibly ask. And we all, we're, we're all guilty of spending so much time on, you know, why do you like a stock or why uh, why do you invest in a stock really the fault that I see in most investment programs is they don't have a disciplined uh, sell program uh, in place and it becomes an emotional thing and for us it's never emotional it's very much driven by the simple fact that to the extent that any of the criteria that we used uh, to as a part of the buy decision on a particular name is no longer valid that stock is candidate for sell and we put our fundamental hats on and say, okay, this looks like it's gonna be some enduring condition, something's changed with the business, with the business model, it's gone. We'll take that proceeds from selling that particular name and look to reinvest it into the next higher earning name within the portfolio. So there's always a process of portfolio upgrade going on, and there's always a process of risk management going on. We don't put something in, in a portfolio and then just forget about it. And you'd be surprised we see that uh, a lot of time when we look at, at portfolios that come in-house. And so it's part of the risk management program and, and a very important part of what we do. And What's important for you to understand watching this video is when you go into the investment department and we start to look at the type of visibility that we have, so we're pulling data from all of the important metrics that we're following. SMR is a very good kind of summary of those, but there's many more. But we have visibility of all the companies inside the portfolio and the key characteristics with real-time data that's being updated. So think of it as a performance dashboard or a measurement dashboard where we can measure the current profitability, past profitability, margins, all of the key factors that go into the stock selection, stock selection process. We have visibility of all those attributes and we can use that data to dictate our decisions. And if some of the fundamentals or even 
maybe from that top-down approach, the economic environment is no longer conducive to that particular industry or company, we can make portfolio decisions, reallocate capital as warranted on this real-time basis. Agreed. And you highlight another interesting point. We're not just looking at just the companies that we own. We tend to focus a lot on their customers, their competitors, and their suppliers. And if there becomes issues in either of those, we think through and determine if there's going to be a problem at the company itself, trying to just stay one step ahead of the street. You couldn't have a better example than COVID with all the supply chain breakdowns, which leads to lack of inventory, which then leads to a lack of sales. Then companies overbuy and they have excess inventory and then margins start to to get compressed because they have to discount inventory to to get it off the shelves. So, you know, that's that's actually more than probably we were planning on getting into as far as the stock selection process and and the characteristics and really how deep we're going in this process. We've covered a lot of ground on the investment side and process there. Can you can you give us some color on what does this mean for uh, financial planning clients or the clients overall for Oak Harvest? Yeah, so the investment side is very important, but I've stressed for years that investments are just one part of an overall retirement plan, but the way we invest our capital in retirement does determine our returns, and those returns are important for projecting out how much income we'll have, how long the money lasts, how much we'll pay in tax. So when I started Oak Harvest, the recommendation across the industry was, Troy, don't bring it in-house. It's too expensive. The regulatory burdens are are too great. It's too much of a hassle. Just simply outsource the investment management, like probably 90% of of companies like ours do. I didn't like that concept because it created a layered fee structure for our clients. And I didn't feel comfortable charging a particular fee for investment management if we weren't the ones actually investing the money. So the first way I think from a financial planning perspective is having the investment team in this disciplined process that we've discussed today. One, it helps to reduce costs for clients. Mm -hmm. One or or two, it gives our advisors a direct line to the investment team to communicate to the clients. And that is a huge benefit because when you want to understand why we're making particular decisions inside of a portfolio or how it impacts your retirement plan, we go directly to the source, Right. right? As opposed to if we just had a bunch of mutual funds that have their expense ratios, which most of you are aware of, but I still think a lot of consumers today don't quite understand that it, that an expense ratio is just one cost inside of a mutual fund. You have trading commissions, sometimes you have 12B1 fees, you have other expenses that come out of the mutual fund value towards the end of the year, and most people don't see it. This is not an itemized fee that's given to you, and it's not included as part of the expense ratio. But if that was the way we were going, I couldn't go to the mutual fund manager at American Funds and say, hey, Jim, what's going on here? Why'd you sell these positions? Or what are we thinking with these allocations? So tying the investment process into the financial planning process, it puts the consumer into what I believe is a lower cost structure because it's not being outsourced. And all the planning is inclusive of that investment management fee as well as the investment management and the buying and selling of individual stocks. But when we craft retirement plans, if someone has an expectation of a lower volatility portfolio and they're looking for modest growth with the potential for increasing income, well, 
the advisors know, hey, we can use the dividend growth portfolio, and then it's a matter of the advisor having a conversation with you, the client, to determine the appropriate amount of risk to put in the market versus how much of the portfolio we want secure. So the investment portfolios that we operate and manage here at Oak Harvest Financial Group have specific intentions and specific goals, but we're able to customize then the plan for someone's individual retirement needs, objectives, and goals around the portfolio models themselves or use the models to incorporate into a more strategic and thoughtful retirement plan that melds those two together. Makes sense to me, and that just highlights again the, the risk management element of it too, and the work that the financial advisor does in helping a client assess how much of these elements to have within their plan. So I hope you understand now a little bit more about the stock selection process here at Oak Harvest Financial Group. And this is just step one of the retirement success planning process, which is risk management to achieve a certain expected growth or rate of return. So now that you have a greater understanding of how that operates here at Oak Harvest Financial Group, we can tie that into what we do on an income planning side, a tax planning side, and of course, the healthcare and estate planning. It's what makes us different for you in your retirement. We're going to have more of these videos, so stay tuned. We thank you very much for watching this one. And if you have questions, reach out to myself, reach out to your advisor, and we look forward to seeing you soon on your next review. Viewers, I hope you found that segment with Troy and Charles invaluable. I know I found it educational. So if you want to get hold of one of our advisors, please give us a call here at 877-896-0040. Give us a call. We'll help you on your financial journey into and through your retirement years.